0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Disability Inc. Include NYC's podcast series. I'm Julian Tosi, a family educator here at Include NYC, and our guest today is David Bloomfield, attorney, author, and professor of education leadership, law and policy at Brooklyn College and the CUNY Graduate Center. Welcome, Professor Bloomfield. Thank you for joining us. So you specialize in education law, school district management, school reform, and legislative matters. What brought you to this area of expertise?
1: Well, I've always been interested in both teaching and in education policy and politics. Uh, when I was in college, I was doing a teacher preparation program. At the same time, I was walking, working at Boston City Hall on, during the busing crisis. Uh, when I was a teacher, I organized my private school faculty into a union chapter. And, and so what I do now really is, is the same. I, uh, I teach. I enjoy the teaching. I'm informed by the teaching in my policy work, but I do a lot of writing about the policy and political situation uh, in New York City and elsewhere in the country.
0: Wow. So that on the ground in classroom experience must give you a really valuable firsthand perspective in the policy work that you do. I
1: I refer to it every day. My my elementary school teaching, my middle school teaching, and my master's and doctoral teaching. It gets me into the schools. I have fieldwork students at Brooklyn College who I visit. And uh, I learn so much from not only the students, but from the principals and teachers of the New York City public schools and private schools as well.
0: So while we're on the subject of education policy, let's dive right into school funding. People that are interested in public education know it's as important as it is complex. So thank you for breaking it down for us. This is especially helpful right now as things get even more complicated amidst COVID-19. Right now, the schools are closed, many businesses are closed, people are out of work, and these factors all affect the education budget. So let's start with the big picture. Here in New York City, there are three main funding streams, federal, state, and city. Can you tell us a bit about education funding at the federal level?
1: Right. Well, so uh, federal uh, spending on on schools is a big, big deal, but strangely enough, it's not, in terms of dollars, uh, it's not as big a deal as as state and local funding. The federal government provides about 10 percent of the New York City public schools budget. Uh, The Influence, though, is greater than the money because all of that money is tied to federal regulations, particularly in the area of special education, where the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act is so important.
0: Wow. So I feel like to an outsider, it would seem like the federal government would have, the it has so much power, it's the biggest entity, but it's actually the smallest funding stream.
1: Well, if you think about it, going back to seventh grade civics and the constitution, the word education doesn't appear in that document. And, and so uh, what Congress does, it uses something called the elastic clause to provide for the general welfare for specific targeted education initiatives. And that includes special education through IDEA and services for low income students through Title I. Those are the, the biggest funding streams for federal money coming into the New York City public schools.
0: So you, you just explained a little bit about how um, the federal budget goes, a big chunk of it goes to special education. And here at Include NYC, we're paying close attention to how special education is affected by COVID-19. So how is the virus affecting federal, the federal education budget?
1: Right, so the good news is that the the Feds have pre- plenty of money. Uh, it may not be real money in the sense that they're, they're going into deficit and and further deficit to provide those funds. Uh, but the, the worry in terms of the federal government is less about the money that's coming in, uh, although we could use a hell of a lot more because of difficulties with the state and local budgets, but it's the the regulations that assure a free appropriate public education for our special needs students. Uh, There's pressure on the federal government to lift some of those guarantees. Uh, They would be called waivers from federal law and we're waiting for Betsy DeVos to make some sort of decision about waiving Federal special education requirements, and 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 that's a matter of great worry.
0: But would be the benefit of waiving some of those requirements? Would that save money that could be used elsewhere?
1: Uh, it, it's a twofold uh, pressure. Uh, one is to save districts money, uh, class size requirements, for example, uh, many instructional and and support uh, provisions. Uh, through IEPs, uh, but there's, uh, there's a secondary issue, which is just a practical one, that so many of these requirements are, are based on on-site instruction. And uh, it really is very difficult at this point to provide, for example, the kind of related services uh, to students that uh, occupational therapy, uh, for example, that uh, tend to require one-on-one in-person help Uh, that we just can't provide at this point. And so uh, in many respects, school districts across the country, New York City included, are violating federal law as a practical matter uh, because they can't provide many of these services on site.
0: So if the waivers were to happen, is that a, a threat to special education or would the law then just be reflecting what's actually happening? As a result uh, of remote well, we wearing want to anyway, make
1: sure that uh, any waivers or maybe even just uh, don't give the waiver, but would give a wink, uh, will permit the uh, system to continue uh, in in a uh, day-to-day fashion, but not uh, lose these protections, which for 30, 40 years uh, have made special needs a a. Crucial responsibility of school districts, which earlier it wasn't. Uh, these were children who, let's not forget, uh, were uh, parents were asked to keep their kids home. They were asked to institutionalize their their kids, and and uh, the protections uh, of IDEA and federal regulations are extremely important to make sure that our special needs children along the broad spectrum of of what disability means uh, really are paid attention to by the school district and and these students aren't permitted to drift away.
0: So with these waivers, it's kind of like there's a threat that an already marginalized group like students with disabilities could become marginalized even further. Exactly. So how about, uh, you, you explained that about 10% of school funding comes from the federal government. What about the state level? Let's go to the next level. How right. much comes from the state government?
1: percent To account for, and, and uh, 40% of, of the local budget is provided through uh, state aid from uh, the, the governor the legislature of, of New York State. Uh, that amounts to many, many millions of dollars uh, through essentially... Uh, foundation aid. That's the, the, the name of the general state aid that comes to New York City and can be used really for any purpose. So remember when I talked about federal aid, it's targeted especially to low-income students and, and to students with disabilities. Uh, foundation aid is discretionary and, and can be used to, to pay general education teachers, and all those other expenses that the DOE, the New York City DOE has uh, responsibility for.
0: So you just mentioned foundation aid and that brings up uh, the campaign for fiscal equity, CFE. What is that and how has it affected the education budget?
1: Right. So CFE was a lawsuit, and I, I used the past tense. Uh, CFE is is not alive anymore, even though many of us would like it to, to be alive, uh, where the New York State Court of Appeals, our highest court, determined that the state had responsibility to every school district uh, in the state. There are over 730 school districts in New York State that state aid had to provide an adequate education for those students. What foundation aid is supposed to do through the CFE suit is provide that level of funding. Unfortunately, the state government has never met the order of the New York State Court of Appeals to provide that degree of funding, and, and so uh, New York City uh, constantly uh, holds the CFE holding up and say, you have to provide us with a degree of funding that you're not giving us right now. Uh, the state, unfortunately, uh, turns its back on New York City on the CFE decision, and we aren't getting the level of state aid that the court of appeals determined was necessary to provide that type of adequate funding.
0: And how is the funding determined? Is it based on the need of the school district?
1: There's a, a state aid formula. Uh, and, and so uh, New York City, based on our, uh, our need uh, student need and our ability to fund our schools locally uh, gets a share of the foundation aid pot that the governor and legislature determine every year. Uh, we get about a third of the money in that pot. We have about a third of the number of students, but we have a tremendous number of, of low income kids. We have a tremendous number of students with disabilities. Uh, students. Uh, who are home insecure. And and so we should be getting much more money, but it's really a political process, not a needs-based process. And in the uh, political hothouse of of Albany, we are underfunded.
0: Is it possible in the future? What do you think? Will foundation aid ever be fully funded? Will New York City get all of the money that it is supposed to?
1: I've argued in in print that that we have a fundamentally uh, broken political system in in Albany, and New York City surprisingly doesn't have as much power uh, as uh, the suburbs, for example, in determining how that foundation aid pie is sliced up. Uh, so I think that we're always going to be underfunded. Uh, th- the more immediate problem is the, the COVID-19 epidemic. The uh, revenues that are coming into the state, the revenues that are coming into the city through taxes are going to be insufficient to meet even our current level of foundation aid. And, and so the question right now is, is less about uh, how to increase funding uh, rather than how to keep the 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 cut as low as possible
0: and the pandemic really has highlighted the disparity across school districts and i think even the need for more
1: equitable funding even further so kind of true you know the 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 wealthier school districts again you know there are over 700 in, in new york state the wealthy school districts because of our Uh, economically as well as racially segregated uh, governance system, uh, they have the ability to self-fund through property taxes. Uh, It doesn't look like the mayor is going to be increasing our uh, property or income taxes because in New York City we get our our school's money from multiple uh, tax streams. Uh, It doesn't look like we're going to have any more money. Again, it's going to be uh, how we staunch the bleeding mm.
0: and the New York state government was in budget planning just as uh, COVID-19 was beginning to spread and that causes schools to close it drastically like you said affected state revenue so what has what impact will this have on the state budget for the forthcoming year
1: well the governor uh, and and the legislature Agreed to a budget several weeks ago in early April, and uh, that gave the governor great discretion to play around with with the budget. Uh, that that's not only uh, to to deal with shifting projections of revenue, but. Where that money should go, uh, we don't only deal with education, even though education is actually the greatest share of the state, edu- the state budget. But you know, whether it's state police or or state parks or uh, or healthcare, uh, we have a huge deficit in our in our uh, Medicaid budget. Uh, how the, the governor decides to shift money around uh, between sectors is going to be a, an area for uh, lobbying by people engaged. And, and we're engaged in, in all sectors, right? If you take the, the subway, uh, you're going to want the governor to be funding the, the subway system. Uh, if you, we, we all are dependent, uh, whether we have kids in school or not, on a quality educational system. We want as much money going to education as well. Uh, How the governor deals with that uh, political quandary and and the pressures that he's under is uh, an open question right now.
0: So education right now is kind of competing with other sectors for the money that's available. That's right. What is this going to mean for New York City? So what will this mean for New York City, budget-wise? Right. So,
1: and so New York schools. City um, is uh, up a creek. We're uh, dealing with, we are the epicenter of, of the worldwide pandemic. Uh, so health care is, is a, a big deal. Economic activity is another big deal. Uh, the sales tax is, is not uh, healthy because the economy isn't healthy. Uh, and as a result, it's likely that we're going to see cuts not only in the state budget but the city budget for education.
0: And the city budget is the biggest education funding stream in New York City. What percentage are we left with? What comes from the right. city? We're left funds?
1: with about fifty percent, ten percent from the feds, forty percent from the state, fifty percent from the city budget. And uh, whereas most school districts in the state and in the country raise their money from a designated property tax on on residents, in New York City, we get our money from all sources, property tax, sales tax, uh, many other, uh, the the income tax, uh, many other sources. So it all goes into one big pot in the city treasury, Uh, that's the account that the mayor has to uh, decide how much money is going to go to police, how much money is going to go to fire, sanitation, and education is the biggest share of that. Uh, We have over 85,000 teachers who have to be paid, uh, other employees, Uh, we have to take care of school buildings, even though the school buildings are closed uh student transportation even though uh they're not being transported at the moment and and so uh if that uh city treasury account goes down uh the mayor and the city council have some hard choices to make as to uh where the cuts will fall
0: so if education is the biggest chunk of the city's budget does that mean that education is going to take the biggest hit Right now? Uh, I
1: don't know if education is going to take the, the biggest hit. Uh, that's really a political decision. It's for uh, all advocates to raise their voices and to say that there will be uh, as few cuts to education as possible, understanding that there are hard choices to make among sectors, that we and we depend on all of them. Uh, One piece of good news is that in the area of special education, because those are mandated services, I'm going back to the federal requirement and those waivers we talked about, it's really important that we maintain those federal requirements for the IDEA money that comes to us from Congress, because special education as a mandated service can't be cut.
0: So right now with the Individuals with Disability Education Act, the federal law that um, protects special education, we're kind of, we're protected, but if those waivers come into play, that's when we, could, we should start to worry.
1: Uh, I think we should be worried anyway, but we should be <laughs> worried uh, uh, about any waivers that come down from the feds.
0: So a big chunk of the New York City education budget goes to special education services. We, and all public schools in New York, are ex, New York City are expected to provide special education. But we also have this separate public special education system known as District 75 or D75. And the students in D75 programs have more significant needs. And the majority of them are in full-time special education classes. So how are the funds distributed between the general education schools and District 75. Is it equitable?
1: Well, before I get into District 75, I just want to at least mention that charter schools have some number of special needs children, private schools have some number of special uh, needs children, and, and those are required to be funded too. Uh, So uh, every sector, uh, whether it's charter, traditional public or private, uh, needs the money and it's public money to provide that free appropriate education that uh, is demanded by IDEA. District 75 is a specialized district within the New York City public schools that are for our most involved special education students, usually those students who require a self-contained situation, uh, not only as a classroom, but as an entire educational program. And uh, as uh, an area where we have the most needy students, Uh, their IEPs drive the funding. Uh, If a one to seven teacher student ratio is required by the IEP, uh, New York City has to fund uh, that one teacher for seven students instead of a class size in a typical general education classroom of 30 or more. So uh, District 75, drives a lot of funding to it. Uh, Is it enough? No. Uh, But again, we have to make sure that we don't let this distance learning environment diminish the services to those children who are likely to see the steepest decline if they're not given those services over the course of six or more months.
0: So even just in typical times, we kind of have this segregated system where there's general education with special education services, and then there's district 75 where it's full-time special education. From your standpoint, does a separate system for, for students with more intense special education needs make sense, educationally and monetarily?
1: Well, I'm not a big, big fan organizationally. In terms of District 75, I I think it tends to marginalize those students as other, uh, and I would like to see uh, the the districts be responsible for all children and and, uh, not just the students uh, apart from District 75. Uh, On the other hand, uh, District 75 requires a great deal of uh, expertise. Uh, These children are the most involved uh, they often have emotional, dis- uh, emotional disturbance or other factors that require their segregation from other students. Uh, on the other hand, as I said before, I, you know, I, I think that there is a tendency to forget about those kids as, as they orbit separate from the mainstream of the New York City public schools.
0: How can we move toward a more inclusive system?
1: well again i would I would like to see that uh, district seventy five as an entity be disbanded uh, while at the same time recognizing that they have uh, special needs and and uh, their educational needs have to be uh provided for uh, i I would like to see more district seventy five programs in regular public schools uh allowing for a, a certain um, uh, uh, movement. Of of services, if not children, uh, among the uh, the population of the regular uh, public school and the district 75 school. Uh, I had as we talked earlier about my uh, how I'm informed by my 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 teaching work. Uh, I was in a in a school which houses both a regular education program and a district 75 program kids from the general education program would go meet with counselors in the District 75 program because those counselors uh, are provided for in greater numbers in the District 75 program because they're more needed there. But, but kids are kids, and, and kids should be able to uh, move between programs uh, where it suits their needs.
0: So the idea is we kind of have to be able to provide the same level of service that students can get in District 75, but integrated into the general. I, I
1: would say so. It's, it's, it's a larger program uh, a problem because so often, you know, one reason we have District 75 is because those kids weren't provided for adequately within the mainstream. And uh, families feel protected when they can go to the District 75 superintendent and make their needs known. And, and too often, uh, when a District 75 parent goes to a general education uh, person, I mean, they, they don't because of, of, of the, the governance system we have, uh, they get disregarded because it takes a lot of work, time, and energy for those kids. And it's not necessarily time and energy that those general education uh, personnel have to, to provide. So uh, there, there are are serious questions about how we provide for our district 75 kids, uh, but we want to make sure that uh, you know they don't essentially have to go through the poor door uh, to get an education. Right.
0: So lots of work to be done. Okay, so we've talked about the federal state and city funding. Where does early childhood education fit in all of this.
1: Right. Well, early childhood education uh, fits in, uh, in in two respects. Uh, first, we need to talk about the zero through three population, that's their age, uh, and uh, early identification. And uh, they actually are uh, provided for by the city department of, of health and mental health, uh, not by the DOE. Uh, within the uh, three K program, or I forget what it's called, three pre-K, uh, those children start to be provided for by the, by the Department of Education. And we have to make sure that uh, children with special needs are both identified and provided for under federal law and federal funding uh, in, in a way that right now I don't think is, is adequate. And, and so we have to make sure that not only the K through through 12 population is provided for, but that uh, zero through through three population and the three through five population within a public education setting. There aren't enough seats for special needs kids in our preschool programs. And the mayor was under fire before the COVID-19 crisis uh, to provide those seats. And that pressure has only increased Uh, And uh, we have to make sure that with all the other worries that he may have, and that the DOE may have, uh, that we don't forget our special needs pre-K population.
0: So the federal, state, and city funding streams come together and make up the New York City Department of Education's budget, and that goes for the pre-K, the early childhood from three to five, and then also K to 12. How, so right now, The governor and the mayor are already making cuts, um, how Sorry, I have to, I have to cut for a second. I made a mistake. Skip that. Okay. To zoom in a little bit more on special education, just um, generally, not just with pre K. um, At the student level, how will the education of students with IEPs be affected by the school closures? How did the special education supports and services that the budget is already set to pay for this year? translate into the remote learning environment?
1: We don't know what's going on out there. Uh, so that's that's the biggest problem. The biggest problem is uh, we don't know what attendance is. Uh, all of our students don't have devices. Uh, they don't have the bandwidth necessarily within their homes. Uh, I'm, I'm worried actually about teachers who may not have the appropriate devices or bandwidth to provide Distance instruction. So uh, I, I think uh, I, I think we have to start from a, a supposition that we have uh, tens of thousands of children not being educated, uh, and and that's from mid March. Uh, we're looking at a situation where uh, special education kids, in particular, since they have such great need. Are going to go without formal instruction for six months, and 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 I, I, that's just a a, a, a crisis of uh, unimaginable proportions. Uh, and with, with every kid being a different story, uh, some kids have uh, excellent provision of uh, devices and bandwidth, and and uh, well-educated, informed parents at home who may be working still from home and the income is coming in. And we're going to have uh, tons of kids who are in environments, uh, not that it's their fault or their parents' fault, but but that are less supportive of, of uh, distance learning. How are we going to provide for those kids when they come back to school or if they don't come back to school. We don't really know what's going to, a lot of special needs kids are on 12-year uh, instructional plans. Uh, I don't know that the DOE has any idea about how they're going to provide instruction to those kids during those months of the summer, uh, let alone what happens in the fall. Uh, so I, I, I think uh, money in some ways is the least of our worries, uh, just the day-to-day Ability of teachers and and parents to support the instruction of their children uh, is a uh, has has multiple dimensions money being only one
0: A big thing that we think about in special education is accessibility and you mentioned how there is varying levels of accessibility in terms of the devices or the Wi Fi that it takes to access remote learning but how else has remote learning affected accessibility for students with disabilities?
1: We had a huge problem of accessibility in even before the crisis. Our school buildings uh, tend to be old, tend uh, in many cases not to be accessible. Uh, kids go to schools that where they would prefer to go somewhere else, but that preferred school isn't accessible, and so they're forced into environments that that. Other kids, kids in the general education population, would uh, have have no problem attending. So uh, we don't want to lose the, the the focus that we had on the, the many many problems that special needs kids had before the crisis started. Uh, that uh, those problems have only increased uh, because. A lot of our kids, as I said before, don't have devices. It's hard to learn on your phone if that's all you have. And maybe you're sharing a phone among three different kids in public school it, within a family, five kids, more. Uh, and and uh, so I, I, I think uh, accessibility is, is a huge issue at this point. Uh, and, and that goes for the ability of, of many of these students and and their parents to to deal with the complexity of the technology. Uh, That can be a a greater hurdle for special needs kids than kids in the general population. I want to talk about assistive technology, which was a huge issue before we started in, in this pandemic, that uh, assistive technology, which can be so important to kids, uh, if they can access it, uh, was, was lacking before, and it's lacking now. Uh, and, and so I, I would like to see the DOE and, as I say, the, the charter schools and the, and the private schools uh, looking into those issues of, of uh, accessibility of technology uh, and, and assistive technology uh, more than I think that they're capable of, of right now uh, while they're doing so many other things. For those of our listeners that aren't aware, can you give a brief
0: explanation of what assistive technology is?
1: Sure. Uh, In uh, an IEP, uh, an individualized education plan and understand that federal law requires that every child uh, in quote, special education, has an IEP. Uh, Very often, I I just talked about kids with IEPs. uh, (laughs) There are kids with disabilities throughout the system. Uh, Some happen to have IEPs. They've been uh, referred for special education. Uh, It's been determined that they have specialized needs. That generates an IEP and a placement. Uh, So the IEP. Ought to call in, in many cases, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. For the kind of specialized technologies that we've developed through the decades and and uh, continue to make progress, you know, the the, the classic would, would would be perhaps a, a wheelchair and, and maybe a, a keyboard that verbalizes uh, writing for the student, uh, and and uh, will input uh, students. Uh, uh, spoken words into written instructions uh, that can be hugely uh, important. Uh, that's very expensive, and it not only requires uh, the ability to uh, to to use the equipment, but to but to maintain the equipment. And how in this uh, environment uh, can we be sending people into homes? To make sure that the equipment is 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 working on on a on a periodic basis, not just uh, once in a while. So, uh, assistive technology uh, has become a more and more important part of the IEP, and uh, I think that uh, that's probably pretty low on the priority scale when we're just trying to get kids connected.
0: So, it's it's kind of a, uh, something that's difficult to maintain in typical times and is just compounded right I mean, now. That's with right, to know about
1: it. I think, I, th- I think we have many situations where uh, there might be assistive technology of uh, available that we don't even know about and so it's not included on the IEP and, and the child goes without.
0: To continue thinking about accessibility, we have IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, that protects a student's right to a free and appropriate public education (FAPE) in the least restrictive environment lre but is that even possible right now when everyone is learning at home there's well, no not, choice over what the environment no, is
1: in 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 some very real way it's not possible we're, we're all in the most restrictive environments right now uh and you know with, without uh physical classrooms to attend and um that one-on-one, and and more importantly, in some ways, uh, social situation of, of a live classroom. So, uh, in in a real respect, the, the the typical legal and instructional playbook has gone out the window, uh, while we try to provide uh, for some sort of education. Uh, in in the most difficult of circumstances, uh, but but the law is law, and the DOE has to be making best efforts to maintain our uh, uh, the requirement for a free, appropriate public education and underlying appropriate as driven by the IEP. Uh, and the least restrictive environment to make sure that students in inclusive situations are included by their teachers uh, in the regular classroom dynamic. Uh, That becomes difficult uh, when you have uh, an integrated uh, situation with a special education teacher and a general education teacher in the same classroom. Uh, it, it just kind of ups the complexity of, of the instructional game.
0: It seems like with this immediate shift to remote learning, there's going to be certain bu- budget allocations that will go unused, like busing, since everyone is at home. Can this money be repurposed for, for maybe to support remote learning?
1: Uh, Some of the money can be repurposed. uh, Other times, not. There is a big controversy right now about using the transportation funds uh, for uh, direct instructional purposes. Uh, There are contractual issues involved. There are economic issues involved. Are you going to lay off a whole bunch of of bus drivers and matrons who, who need the income and uh, who we're going to need, I hope, uh, in September, and, and not have these people drift away into other jobs or retirement uh, because th- we've, we've cut off the funding. So uh, that may be a good idea. Uh, it's, it's not a... Uh, it, 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 the, the solution isn't as obvious as it might seem to simply repurpose that money. Other money just can't be, be because it's been provided to the DOE for targeted functions like security or like transportation. Uh, and uh, in, in that respect, uh, it would be illegal to repurpose it. So not as easy as just moving some money around. <laughs> uh, it's kind of uh money is fungible it uh it can people are expert at, at moving the money around but not always
0: so we already saw shortages in special education before COVID 19 there was like you mentioned before not enough preschool special education seats not enough social workers guidance counselors school psychologists stretched too thin and it seems like we're going to need even more resources when the schools reopen to make up for lost ground and how how will we ever get the funding we need when now we're we'll be getting even less?
1: So uh, that's the quandary I think that uh, everybody is is facing now. Uh, government is uh, especially responsible for all of these different services uh, at increased levels when there's less money uh, to pay for it and 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 so and and we we have to look at, at the social situation as well uh people have died uh how are we going to deal with the social and emotional cost of of that situation uh it's it's not a budgetary matter it, it, it it's a, a psychological matter uh, but we we're going to have to deal in in a situation which is uh changing day to day in in quite dramatic ways uh and and where individual children will be most vulnerable
0: right it's not just the academic ground that we lost but we're also going to have higher need in terms of mental health coping with what they went through and it sounds like mental health could be in schools could be a place where
1: we're going to see some cuts uh where Services aren't mandated. uh, They're likely to be cut. Class sizes are likely to go up. Um, uh, Mental health services have already been uh, put on the uh, cutting board uh, by the mayor. Uh, That may not affect the special education population where the IEP calls for counseling, but it will certainly affect the mainstream. And uh, those are kids who are going to be needing those services as well. So uh, there's a, a situation where there's increased need and less money to, to pay for that.
0: And that kind of brings us to this new normal. There's a lot of talk about how when the pandemic is over, Things aren't just going to go back to how they were. And we see that with cuts in funding, but also elsewhere. What do you see as the long term effects on education and education funding?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I hope we all go back to live instruction. I think that's the, the biggest deal. Uh, it, it seems like people are pretty tired of, of Zoom meetings and uh, and, and being cut off from one another physically. So uh, let's assume that we do go back to school in, in the fall. I think that that's up in the air at this point. Uh, but, but if so, I, I think that we'll have larger class sizes. Uh, I, I, I think that we will have more pronounced deficits between kids who have been able to uh, uh, get the kind of supports needed for a semblance of education during these uh, six months, and and those who who weren't. Uh, so I I think that a lot of content compensatory program is going to have to be instituted. Uh, you know what's going to happen when when a fourth grader who is out for six months uh, is going to be taking a state test. Uh, it looks like those test scores will go down. Uh, are we somehow going to blame the school for a, a uh, huge fall off in test scores. Uh, and, and because of the nature of our schools, which are highly segregated by race and by, by income, some schools may look fairly unscathed and others uh, will look like they're failing. Uh, what are we going to do about that kind of distinction uh, between our schools and, and where the resources is going to go?
0: It seems like you mentioned how there's a difference in the level of support that different families are able to lend to their children in remote learning because of need, because of being at home or being at work, but it seems like across the board, everyone is frustrated with remote learning and barring any sort of um, differences in support. So could this this experience sort of changed the whole bar, where where like the learning standards for third grade change because everyone is coming in behind?
1: Well, I think the, the government is gonna have a hard time changing the learning standards, um, but we certainly uh, may have to, I hate to say it this way, lower our expectations for what still children will know at a, at a given grade level. Uh, we, we don't know what, what the effect is going to be, and, and there are going to be a lot of changes, just I, th- I think demographically. Uh, people have moved out of the city uh, to get away from uh, the epidemic. Uh, are those kids going to be coming back? Uh, how's that going to fall off uh, in terms of income? Uh, so I, I think our schools are going to be looking a lot different. We, we may have. Fewer teachers. Uh, we we were already in a situation of of dozens of, of deaths. But uh, some people are going to retire. Uh, are we going to be able to to fill those slots with with newer teachers? And and what are the challenge? Are, will those newer teachers be able to meet the challenges that their more experienced colleagues uh, could have dealt with? Perhaps. Uh, or, or maybe the newer teachers are going to be more flexible and, and uh, not uh, as put off by, by a, a new high-tech environment as some of the older teachers.
0: It really is uncharted territory, so many unknowns. And, and this situation really has, like we mentioned before, highlighted even further the educational inequities that, that happen across the city, across the state, across the country. Could this experience result in a more equitable system?
1: I, I, I would hope that we all see that we're, we're in the same boat together and, and that uh, there is greater equity. Uh, on the other hand, in times of shortage, people jump into the nearest lifeboat and uh, we, we could see, in fact, uh, for example, more families moving into uh, private schools uh, and kind of putting up the, the barriers uh, and, and leaving a, a uh, less financially uh, able school system to fend for itself.
0: So it really could go either way.
1: And, and all different ways.
0: <laughs> so taking this all in, it's clear that even under typical circumstances, education funding is complicated. And as we wrap up, I was hoping you could leave us with a goal for education funding when the schools reopen, if and when we get back to business as usual if that even exists anymore. What is the most pressing issue or change education funding needs to address?
1: Well, we've got to ad- address uh, those kids who uh, for six months uh, were without uh, the the level of education that they were receiving in school. Uh, so uh, we are going to have to put a lot of money into compensatory programs uh, and uh, that... Uh, has to do with low-income kids. It has to do with special needs kids. It has to do with home insecure kids. Uh, that's where we're going to have to put the the, the most money because those are the going, going to be the kids who probably saw the greatest loss in terms of uh, their educational needs. Right,
0: and and probably their emotional, mental health needs as well. That's true. All right. Thank you, Professor Bloomfield, for sharing this insight with us and teaching us about education funding, especially during these chaotic times. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care.
1: Thank you.